Thank you for coming Thank you for coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. And I am so excited to be here for our fifth season of the Thank You For Coming Out podcast. In 2015, I founded the queer improv show, Thank You For Coming Out, or TIFCO as we call it. And it is now one of the longest running queer improv shows in New York City. During that show, our storytellers share their coming out stories and then our improvisers bring those stories to life. Our podcast is a little different. We still have our storytellers share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them. And I am so excited with uh, about, I'm excited to have my guests here with me today because I've been following them on Instagram for a long time. I've used their resources in a lot of my work. And so it is a true pleasure to get to talk to them. Lynn's Amer, they, them, makes queer stuff for kids and families. They started on this wild and winding career path when they created Queer Kids Stuff, an award-winning original LGBTQ plus educational web series for all ages that has reached millions of families. They perform at libraries, schools, and theaters all over the world, spreading queer joy and working on numerous projects that bring queer and trans representation into mainstream children's media. In 2019, they gave a viral TED Talk on the importance of talking to kids about gender and sexuality. They currently write for preschool television and also host the parenting podcast, Rainbow Parenting, as well as Activist You. Activist you. I don't know the emphasis for that. We'll talk about that. For, ki <laughs> for kids featuring interviews with youth activists. Their work has been featured by Good Morning America, Kids Screen, Teen Vogue, and Parents Magazine. They live in New England with their wife and their two spunky rescue dogs. Linz, hello. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. What a oh, lovely my. intro. Yes. Well, thank you. I, I, I'm fogging up. Do you see my glasses, everybody? are fogging up. I'm so excited. <laughs> Uh, I'm so happy to have you here. How are you? How's summer going? I'm, I'm doing well. Summer is good. I'm in like relax and rejuvenate and recover mode because June was like completely off the wall bananas. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've been doing a lot of like, <laughs> just like chilling and playing Zelda and catching up on podcasts and trying to like figure out what the next thing is but like all taking things very slow and purposefully which is like not how my ADHD brain wants to work but uh we're uh <laughs> we're working on it so summer's summer's going well good yeah and for I would I would I'd go out on a limb and guess that our, our audience listeners would know why June was Bananas Town, but yes. will you tell us why? Yeah, I went on a seven city tour. Uh, I did over 25 events in the span of about five weeks, mostly to promote my book, Rainbow Parenting, which you mentioned, um, but also just to like do a pride tour. I went to bookstores and did kids performances and talked to grownups about what I do. And it was really, really beautiful and uh, honestly, a fantastic experience of just like connecting with people across the country, especially in the time that we're in right now. But it was also uh, really exhausting. <laughs> So, uh, so I, yeah, I needed to, um, needed to recover a little bit after that. Yeah. Uh, that's a lot of, that's a lot of engagements in that short span yes. of time. It was a lot. If math serves me, that's about five a week. Yeah. And that doesn't even include like <laughs> podcast interviews and press and all the social media stuff that I was doing. So 
it was a lot. That is a lot. Yeah, June June tends to be very busy. I think for yes. folks who in in our industry, which is. Mm-hmm. You know, LGBTQ educators, facilitators, activists, really just anybody with any kind of platform or or yes. connection to the greater community. June is like our busiest time. Yes, 100 percent. Yeah. Always so, has been. Always has been. Um, and so I'm glad that you are taking some time for yourself. That's so nice. Me too. Um, so before we, I, I do want to like circle back to your book and all that good stuff, but before, you know, you're here to share a coming out or coming into self story. We all have multiple versions of all of those things. And so I would love to hear one that you want to share with us today. Yeah, for sure. My coming out slash coming in story is not very clean. It's not, it's like pretty chaotic. I came out to my mom as bi when I was 17 and was 100% not ready to either come out or like really grapple with it outside of myself. Um, And we like never talked about it again until like years later. And for me, I kind of like went into college, like knowing like some sort of queerness about myself, but didn't really explore it until a little bit later when um, I did this like summer abroad. I got like a research grant and start- this is also like the beginning of my career a little bit too. I was researching um, kind of like ways that children's theater in the UK approaches quote unquote taboo topics. Um, and so I just like kind of like got you know, a very small grant in the grand scheme of things and like lived in London on my own for like two to three months and just like was like, okay, I'm doing this research thing. But also like, what if I just like pretended to like live as a gay person Mm. this whole time that I'm here? And then I just just like got a lot gayer and kind of when I came back, I just sort of like decided to stop lying to myself and to other people and just like trying to express myself in the way I wanted to express myself. And that's kind of when I, you know, started dating someone for the first time, used that to kind of come out to my family in like a more concrete way, I guess. Um, But it all like felt very flowy and ebbs and, you know, tide coming in and coming out. It wasn't like a very linear journey. And then, so that was kind of like my queerness. And then with like gender, I really didn't figure out like anything around being non-binary until I was like in my mid-20s. And it's because I went to um if anyone who listens reads the website Autostraddle, they used to do these camps. Um, it's a queer-owned website, um, indie publication. They used to do these camps called A Camp, and it was I did one one year. And it was the first time I was like surrounded by people who had like normalized they then pronouns for other folks around me. And it was the first time I was kind of like, huh, that's uh, something that could like maybe feel good for me. And then I just kind of came home and started asking people to do that for me. And then again, like the slow, like I ended ended up like writing a coming out arc for myself on queer kid stuff. We did like three episodes where I talk about like questioning my gender. And then I talk about what coming out is and I come out as non-binary to Teddy. And then we talk about in another episode what non-binary means. And that's like kind of a cool thing to look back on that I was able to kind of articulate that story for myself in a way that was like also educational, but also was after a lot of processing had happened. And then I didn't come out really as trans until 
maybe like two or three years ago. And it's it's just like been a long, nonlinear, flowing, nebulous kind of process of coming out and then coming into myself and then coming out again and then into myself again and just a lot of back and forth like that. Thank you so much for sharing. I yeah. So much of what you shared resonates so much with me and mm-hmm. I know they, it does with a lot of our listeners of this. Um, I like the way that the like metaphor of the like tide coming in and out and like yeah. continuous, the continuous like growth and exploration and understanding of self. Because mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I feel like in in trainings that I do around LGBTQ identity, I have a a picture of a graph where it's like most people think that identity is this like linear line when in actuality, mm-hmm. and then it's like a huge squiggle. It's like yeah. because it's like life isn't isn't a straight line. It really is like because the more you experience the world, the more if you're open to it, let the world help you understand yourself more and grow into yourself more. Yeah, there's this um line from a song from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend that I get like stuck in my head a lot. That's uh life is a like never ending like stream of realizations. Uh that's not the exact quote, but like it's something like that of like life is just like realizations upon realizations. And I think for me identity and my identity it's been so much about like okay, how am I feeling in my body? what words and experiences that I am witness to feel and like resonate with me and feel good. And like, they could be my experience exploring and like discovery within that and figuring out like how I fit into that narrative. And then usually once I kind of like go through that process, it leads me to like something new that I have to do that process over again for. So like my neurodivergence and figuring that out is like all wrapped up in my identity as a queer and trans and non-binary person as well. And like that was a whole big journey that was like very different than discovering my like transness and like the kinds of communities that I connect to through those labels. And uh, yeah, it's <laughs> it's interesting having a career that also kind of like is about my identity and my queerness as well and like the position that I'm in as a role model for young children and for families and I think something for me I take a lot of inspiration from Mr. Rogers which is I think clear from my work Um, and I think something that he was really good at was showing kind of like not necessarily how the sausage gets made but like that it's okay to make mistakes along the way and that like it's not neat and tidy all the time things have flaws humans are not perfect uh maybe you can't get the tent to pop up on your tv show the first time you try it let's just like not cut and show the kids out there that like adults struggle to put up a tent too you know what i mean Mm -hmm. yeah that's uh you so I want to come back to that because you you talk about that very early on in your Rainbow Parenting book yeah. um, about like vulnerability and making mistakes and accountability. But I want I do want to come back to that because that's yeah, yeah yeah I love talking about that. Um, but I want to just circle back to to more 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 points in your story. Um, yeah. And there are two two things that I want to chat with you about because they resonate so deeply with me, and I know they resonate mm. with a lot of our with our, our listeners too, which is this idea of um, like you mentioned at this A camp that it was the first time that you were surrounded by like they, them mm-hmm. pronouns being normalized. And yeah. when I started at Keshet, 
which is a for those of you who don't know, a national nonprofit uh, working, a queer nonprofit working with Jewish institutions on LGBTQ inclusion. And that was the first place that I saw people using they them pronouns. People were respecting them. Mm. We shared our pronouns at every meeting. It didn't matter how many people were in that meeting as a way of normalizing. This can shift. This this is is supposed to be fluid and we yeah. haven't been socialized to think of it in, in a fluid manner. And so mm. being in that space was really powerful. And then um, one of the things that Keshet does with teens uh, is host these weekend Shabbaton, uh, Shabbatonim, like uh, weekend retreats and uh, for queer and trans Jewish teens and allies. And the first one I went to, I was supposed to be the grown up in the room because I was staff. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, there were close to 100 teenagers who were just so themselves and so mm-hmm. proud to be who they are, these queer and trans Jews and mm-hmm. using all, all the different pronouns and like proudly and mm-hmm support every single person was supporting each other there were no clicks it was just it was the most magical important space that i've ever i think that i've ever been in because it, mm. it i was in tears the whole time i was like yeah. i can't i can't even talk because everything that everyone is saying makes me want to cry in the best way um mm. all of which is to say how important these spaces are where we are are not only normalizing but celebrating yeah all the different kinds of people that are in spaces. And so um, this is a a huge uh, lead into my question, which is um, what did it actually feel like to be in a space? Like what did that feel like for you in your body, in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit? Do you remember? Mm. Yeah, I think there was like a lightness to it. Something like sparking, like a new, like a, like a new feeling about it that was um really like fresh there was like a like like a like a freshly cut grass kind of vibe you know what i mean like not like starting anew but a there's like a breath of fresh air right and i think and i think it's also like felt different at different parts of my journey too because i it's it's interesting because as you were kind of talking about that, re- reflecting in like the patterns of my life and like these, the, my coming out story is that so many of my like realization points were around like summer and like going to pre-college theater camp. And like, that's where I kissed a girl for the first time playing truth or dare. Like uh, when I went to England that summer and like uh, I was, you know, putting myself into queer community purposefully and then um in going to a camp like that being like a very like visceral version of that and there's always been some kind of like like spark moment or like something that felt like it like triggered a synapse or something that maybe like hadn't been before or like lighting up some part of my brain that like hadn't necessarily like been tapped into that much but like when it was it felt really good and it was like so easy to identify that when it was being like uh like tapped into just like more purposefully or like 
uh, like I could feel it more. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've had a few of those like catalyst. Mo- uh, uh, I yeah. call them aha glass shattering moments. Yes. Yes. Of exactly. Just like being in a space. So I was at a, a lipstick lesbian awareness party. Okay. Uh, on the Lower East Side in New York City of, mm-hmm. in 2014, I think it was. And okay. at that point, I wasn't, um, didn't know myself to be non-binary, trans, or anything like that. I, I was mm-hmm. still using woman and lesbian to describe my experience. Never lipstick lesbian. Uh, for those of you listening, a lipstick lesbian is a femme-presenting lesbian who oftentimes gets erased from the narrative because people assume that gay women look a certain way and so because femme women don't fall under the stereotype of what a gay woman looks like get erased from conversation so this was a party to celebrate femme women and so i was going as an ally but i'm in this space and it really was it was like a it was like this glass shattering oh i don't i'm not a, not a, I'm not a lesbian. I'm not a woman. It, like it just it just made mm. sense. Just being in a space where people were being fully themselves. Yeah. Me, even though I wasn't who they are, mm-hmm. it helped me realize who I am. And yes. it was those moments are like a like a breath of fresh air of like okay, the world makes this much more sense now. Like I finally mm-hmm. can understand my place a little bit better. Yeah, and there's like a like a comfort to it too of like. Oh, I could be feeling so much better in my life if I lean into this space, if I like allow this space to envelop me and like experiment and make discoveries within that space. And uh, yeah, I think that's been really important to me throughout my life. And I mean, queer and trans like teen camps are incredible. I I did like a night with a local one in my area. like early July, like as I was kind of coming back off tour and I was like, okay, maybe it'll be fun to like spend a night with some teens in the wilderness. And I don't work with teens like super often. I usually work with like elementary and pre-K kids and just like talking to a group of teens was just, and like watching them like have that experience for themselves. I mean, I think that they they are certainly more realized than I was at their age, Um, but it was just... It was like exactly, yeah, the breath of fresh air that like I needed to like not necessarily have those discoveries for myself in those moments with them, but like to witness them being themselves in a way that I couldn't be when I was that age. Yeah, it's really I think for for me, at least it's very it's refreshing and it's hopeful of, okay, like the next generation, like they get it like they're so much more in tune with who they are. Um, and can be open about it. I mean, I feel like for sure, like hindsight for me, and I'm curious if this is, if you had similar experiences, like looking back on, on my life and my experiences, I'm like, oh my God, I'm so trans. Like things that I would like think to myself or, you know, you know, daydream about or all of these things. I'd be like, holy shit. Like there's just, there's never a doubt in my mind of like this just, it it just makes so much sense. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) No, 100%. I think like I was a very sad and angry teenager and so much of it was because of the queerness, because of the transness. I also think like the undiagnosed like ADHD autism combo 
was a huge huge part of that for me too and like the connection between that and like my queerness and transness has been like a really big discovery over the last like five or uh, a couple of years for me and uh I think that like there were just like a few things that I just didn't know how to unlock and the people around me were seeing the sadness and the anger and didn't know what to do with that to understand like the actual underlying issues and yeah it's uh I feel like I've turned out okay (laughs) but uh I mean I it's interesting because we can get to talking about the book because I mean I did a lot of reparenting of myself as I was writing that and my parents have read my book and it's not a memoir by any means there's a lot of like personal anecdote and I do share a lot of my story um but I definitely had to like revisit I mean, definitely my inner child, but also like, okay, why might my parents have made these decisions about, you know, and and making assumptions about me as a young person? And how can I help people today navigate that and like hopefully circumnavigate some of the pain that I personally went through? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think part of a lot of a lot of big reasons why I do the work that I do is to try to mitigate pain and mm-hmm. undo unnecessary pain and struggle and yeah. confusion um, and being the person that I wish that I had growing up. Um, yeah. I promise you we'll get to your book. I have one more one more piece of your story that I wanted to talk yeah. to you about, which is because um, I, I was the same, the same journey for me, which was mm. coming out as – um, and using like non-binary for you, I use genderqueer um, mm-hmm. first and then mm-hmm. years later taking on uh, the term trans. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I think that also is a, a relatively common journey for folks. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm curious for you kind of what that what that journey looked like and what, what the thinking was and the feelings were behind kind of the, I don't want to say disconnect, but um just the the gap between using those two words yeah i honestly think a lot of it was just internalized transphobia i had a friend kind of like call me out on it at one point someone who was like also going through their own like journey and is now like a binary trans guy and he like kind of called me out and i was like oh maybe you're kind of right <laughs> i need to uh, do a little soul searching on that and that was like in the middle of the pandemic too so I was like very much you know stuck at home with my wife and my dog and you know a, a chest that I hated <laughs> and uh, it was uh, yeah just having to do a lot of self-work around that and like the understanding of not identifying with my assigned gender and I mean I think it's like it's like funky with like non-binary identity right because like some people don't identify as trans and some people do within the non-binary community and like Mm -hmm. it looks so different like non-binary can look so so different for so many people and i or like genderqueer can look and you know within the umbrella um and i don't know for me i think it was tough because i do still feel like tied to my experience as someone who is perceived as a woman when I go out in the world 
and someone who I identify with feminist ideals. I identify with the ways in which I was socialized as female. And those experiences color the way that I move through the world and who I am today. I mean, I I think like a good um, way of looking at it, I was in P-Town doing some gigs um, last week and I, I met up with a friend who's a, a gay trans guy and we like had dinner and then we, after dinner, we both we were like going to go off and do our separate things. And he went to like a gay dance party and I went to watch the rest of the U.S. national like women's world soccer, the soccer cup <laughs> game. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, that, that is like the difference in our gender identity and like how I feel within kind of like identifying with the lesbian community, even though I'm like non-binary and trans and trans masculine. Um, I don't know. It's complicated, I think. And there's like a lot of different things that color it, but I do feel very I do genuinely feel very in the middle of things and with like a bent toward like the trans masculine end of the spectrum um so like sometimes I'll do like a non-binary trans and then like parentheses mask um and like the parentheses sometimes come on and off depending on the day mm-hmm. um yeah it's I don't think there's like one easy answer for the like starting to identify as trans or not i think the big thing for me also was like getting top surgery um and that feeling very trans Mm -hmm. (laughs) um in itself and then also like just like once i started identifying as trans like feeling a part of the trans community was a big part of it for me and that just like opening up to a side of myself and like a community where I just like felt more seen um, in my experiences. So I think that like, that's like the biggest part of it for me is taking on that label and and identity in order to feel part of the community. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, My, my, I think a lot of my journey between and around and with those words are similar to you of this mm. internalized transphobia of, and I think for me, there was also a part of like, I like, am I trans enough? Cause mm. I had in my head, like you had to check off certain boxes to be trans. Um, and that took a lot of undoing and understanding and realizing that there is not one way to be trans. However you are trans is enough. Um, yeah. So I had top surgery, um, before I even knew, so I was at that, that lipstick lesbian awareness party. And in that moment, realized I was like, I need to have top surgery. And, and Mm. didn't, I still at that point did not know that non-binary genderqueer identities Mm. existed, but I just knew inherently instinctually inside me that like, I, I was those, I I just didn't know the word for it, but I knew So it like I feel like my journey, if we were gonna put it up next to like what people think a typical journey is, was mm. backwards. Cause I had top surgery before changing my name, changing my pronouns, mm. just, you know, using words like non-binary or trans. And that was like the first thing I did was surgery. <laughs> um yeah. and then last thing I did was hormones, which I think a lot of times for folks, that social transition is first, which is name mm. and pronouns. Yeah. That was me. Yeah. And then 
if if um, hormones are part of someone's journey, that's next. And then top surgery seems to be like typically the last step mm-hmm. or one of the last steps. And I and I just want to reiterate to everybody. There is not one correct journey and there is not one correct – whatever someone does is the correct way for them. Um, but I'm just speaking in, gener- in general. <laughs> yes. uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah. So it's, you know, the uh, um, kind of navigating that internalized transphobia has been bonkers. And like for yeah. – just it's so it's so ingrained and it really is it really is and like I think so much of it for me was like not understanding the personal side of what like transness feels like because we're kept from those narratives right and I think like podcasts like this do the like work of like um pulling the curtain away but like there's just so much there's just so little like of trans people telling their own stories and like their own experiences and i mean i think that's certainly changing but uh it's still very i think for me it was a lot of like oh like trans like that can't be me that can't be my experience that's uh i think i was like linking it a lot more to like binary trans experience Mm -hmm. and like checking the boxes of surgery and like and and hrt and um like yeah what all that kind of entails versus you know that's that's not my experience and i think that like the understanding has had to be it doesn't matter that it's not your experience like i have my own version of that experience and me needing to expand my understanding of what trans experience can be um and finding myself within that eventually yeah um something that you said earlier um around uh you and your friend kind of parting ways and you know him going to dance club and like you watching soccer um and and also like how we were socialized how we were raised and socialized Mm -hmm. and i'm just thinking about two things which is i also feel this like incredible kinship and love and feel so much gratitude for the lesbian community mm-hmm. and like anytime i hear any song that could have ever been at lilith fair i like <laughs> my whole body like expands with love and like joy and yes. i love going to indigo girls concert like all oh of gosh these, yes like, yeah you're speaking just... my language i'm going to a chick <laughs> i'm going to a chick's concert in a couple of weeks and i'm stoked i my like favorite spotify playlist this is a pro tip for everybody um the gay country and americana playlist Mm. it is fantastic lots of orville peck lots of trixie mattel it is lots of brandy it is fantastic yeah i think we have a similar taste in music (laughs) yeah uh i'm just writing that playlist down so i can look at it Uh, um yeah (laughs) um but it's like so just you know feeling that connection towards a community that i'm not even a part of um but mm-hmm. i was like kind of like coming of age in a certain way within that community yeah. so it all has my friends that... are lesbians and like bisexual women like it's i'm still very deeply embedded in that community in addition to being embedded in trans community now yes yeah, similar similar samesies um but i was so i'm 
it kind of is, it's reminding me of this. I was speaking at a synagogue during pride and we did like a mm. Q and a after, and that was an, an interesting uh, experience. But one mm-hmm. of the people was um, basically like asking me about, and was sharing with me that she was like very much in the like feminist movement and like fought so hard for mm. women to be equals and for, mm. for women to be able to be whoever they are, however they are. Um, and she couldn't quite understand why I couldn't just be a like mass presenting lesbian, why I couldn't like that. Cause that's mm. what she fought for. She's like, you yeah. weren't happy being a woman. Like, why? Like, nothing's good. And like, it, mm. it was like bordering turf, turfiness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, we didn't, we didn't quite, quite cross over into turf, mm-hmm. uh, territory. Dangerous game to play. It, it really is. Um, and it's just, you know, the only way that I could explain to her, it's like, it's just, I'm just not a woman. Like, I want everyone who is a woman to be able to express themselves however they want. And thank you for that work. And that's just not me. That's just not my experience. And I think it's so hard sometimes for people to, for cis people to understand how trans people know so deeply who we are because we had to really fight and work for it and understand that there's nothing wrong with being a cis woman. It's just not my experience. Yeah, you know? I mean, it's all it all just boils down to white supremacy, right? And like, I am suffering from the same, like toxicity around gender rigidity and gender roles and binary gender that like women and feminists and, and femmes are being subjected to as well. Like my gender has been policed my entire life as has theirs and it's the same thing (laughs) we're just experiencing it different ways i'm experiencing it as gender dysphoria and you're experiencing it as um uh sexual harassment like uh uh within like toxic masculinity um and like having to deal with straight cis men (laughs) a lot of the time probably and i uh it's just like they want us to fight amongst ourselves like that like that like helps white supremacy for us to like be arguing with each other about like who has it worse why can't you just be a woman and why do you have to you know label yourself all of these things and use all of these words and use pronouns like why do you have to do that and i'm like well i i do that because it it positions me outside of that of those like cultural quote unquote norms that, you know, this like white supremacist monster is trying to get me to conform to. And, you know, some people do that through gender expression that's non-conforming to those expectations. Some people do it through um, showing like that, you know, you can be hyper feminine and like a capable person in the workplace, like, and like hold a high powered job. Like, there there are so many different ways to combat patriarchy and why can't we just do all of those things that everybody fight for their tactic right and like their experience within that and i don't think that those are two opposing things i think that we're trying to help each other from different vantage points i'm not using your tactic because that's not authentic to me and i share some similar experiences but like it's not necessarily the same and that's okay 
Like we don't have to be all fighting with the same strategy and like you find your people, I'll find mine. We'll overlap and we'll build coalition when we need to. Um, but like, it's okay for us not to have the same experiences, but also have um, similar goals. Right. Um, yeah. I don't know if that's like the most eloquent way I could put that, <laughs> but uh, hopefully that helps folks kind of puzzle through that a little bit, because I mean, here's the thing is that like, post top surgery and like you know coming out as trans and all this like i'm so much more comfortable like playing with my femininity now that i like feel better in my body and i'm like oh like i can paint my nails like that's something i loved to do as a kid and then stopped doing it because i didn't feel as comfortable doing it in my body especially because of how people perceived me and now that i like am comfortable and feeling like i'm in more alignment between my identity and my expression, like as I just walk through the world, like I can play with these ideas of gender in a way that like feels really good. And so like opening myself up to my transness actually like helped me figure out my like feminine and masculine energies. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's, very resonant for me and and for sure for a lot of folks of of once we once once our like baseline of who we are feels aligned with the rest of us mm-hmm. then that then you're right like it does open up the the sense of possibility of now I can now I can start to to embrace those parts of me that I was too afraid to before because of the way that the world perceived me yes um so okay so this is not the most beautiful segue that's ever happened, but let's talk about your book. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Uh, so Rainbow Parenting. Um, so what was the kind of like the impetus behind this? Like what, so what is the book? I know it's it's helping yeah. parents raise queer kids and allies. Um, so tell, yeah, what, what sparked the, the idea to, to create this book? Yeah, so the book is essentially like, intro to queer theory meets a parenting book um that's kind of like how the content is like structured and really it's just it's it's an accumulation of about a decade of work making queer stuff for kids and trying to convince adults that it's important um i did the ted talk in 2019 and saw that it kind of struck a chord and that was like a very different vibe from queer kid stuff and the work that I've been doing up to that point which was all children's storytelling that's what I studied in college that's what queer kids stuff is um I make work for kids and that's what I love doing um I was always like I always loved Disney and Pixar growing up I just those like universal all ages stories just really resonate for me and I wanted to make that And I found as I was doing queer kid stuff, you know, this was circa 2016 through 2019 when I was actively making the web series and it was really hard. (laughs) Just like me, I mean, making anything is difficult. I mean, that was the fun part for me, honestly, but like the hard part was the online harassment, the people in my comment sections, people, excuse me, people who just like didn't we're on a scale from like not getting it to like actively despising me. Um, And I realized that like, I mean, in all of my work making queer stuff for young people, 
I mean, just gatekeepers. Like kids don't have control over their information. They don't have control over the content they consume for the most part. Um, I guess that's changing like a little bit with the way that technology is shifting. Um, but that's a much more complicated conversation. Um, but anyways, the gatekeepers were and continue to be a problem. I mean, we're seeing all this legislation happen. That's like exactly what it is, but just on a much larger scale. And I wanted to figure out a way to make the content for kids, but then also talk to the gatekeepers about it and essentially like help funnel more people toward my work for young people. And the TED Talk helped start to do that. And I went to my literary agent and was like, hey, can we like turn this into a book somehow? And took, a, you know, a pandemic hit and I tried to figure out how to write a book proposal <laughs> and eventually we sold it. And it turned into the book that I wish that my parents had when I was when I was growing up. And I mean, I, I say this a lot about queer kid stuff that it's the work that I wish I had when I was a kid. And this is kind of like I think of the book very much as a companion piece to queer kid stuff of like, read this, show the web series to your kids, or um, you're hesitant about showing queer kid stuff to your kids. Here's a whole book telling you why you should and really building out an ecosystem where all of the information is out there for adults to be able to get on board, right? And I think so much of that is, I think the metaphor that I've been playing with is this like gatekeeper person and, you know, I'm constantly going up and asking for the key and, and trying to get through and trying to sneak through in different ways and get creative about it. But I think ultimately it's about approaching that gatekeeper and handing them this book and saying, okay, here, read this, see what it does and getting them to like think to give me the key and I mean, the book is still pretty new. It was only only came out late May, but I'm I'm really hoping that it shifts people's perspectives because I mean, you know, there's so much going on right now, and I think there are a lot of families who want to raise queer and trans allies and build inclusive and gender affirming environments in their homes, but. This is a first generation of parents who really want to do that in a purposeful, meaningful way. And I hope that my book will help them on that journey and achieve that goal when they don't know how. Yeah. Have you, I mean, I'm full disclosure, haven't read all of it, but I've read a lot of it. <laughs> and it's, okay. um, it's a whole book. So. <laughs> it is a whole book. Um, but it is, it's very accessible and it's very clear um and helpful and i mean this is this is work that i also have been doing for close to a decade and i'm still mm -hmm. highlighting things and things are helping you know you you give language that will be helpful for me to use but in certain scenarios Good. um but i'm curious have you gotten any i know you said the book is very new but have you gotten any feedback yet or what has the response been so far yeah for sure um i think definitely people resonate with the tone um that it's uh, like i was talking about before with like mr rogers like that it's okay to make mistakes i think the there's just such a high barrier to entry for this work for just like the normal straight cisgender probably white parent right and and i think that that barrier 
to entry is so much of just like people getting in their own heads of like, I don't know about this stuff. I'm going to say something wrong. And like, that's going to be bad. And I'm going to ruin my kid if I talk about gender in the wrong way, or like, this isn't my experience. So how can I talk to my kid about it? How can I communicate this? How do I even like understand it fully? And I think like, so much of the tone and like making it welcoming and friendly and like not intimidating and giving space for people to make mistakes and like for parents to not have to be omnipotent and like know everything for their kids to be able to have an understanding of these ideas and inviting parents to go on a journey of discovery with their children. I think that those, that kind of like overarching like tone of the book and like concept of just like get out of your own way and just like shake it out (laughs) um that and I think that like I try and ease people through the book within that of like okay like have you ever thought of like talking to your kid about what hormone blockers are oh is that giving you like heart palpitations let's like take a deep breath because that's your internalized um transphobia talking right now and like worrying that your kid will turn out to be trans and it's like well what if your kid turns out to be trans that is a possibility and being not just like ready for that but also like creating a space where that will be okay no matter what happens and you can handle it I mean quote unquote handle it right and like that I mean it's all about strengthening parent child bonds ultimately and just coming at it from kind of like a gender affirming lens yeah um for sure yeah it is it is a very affirming book and very um i I said accessible just like it's even if people are like i've never heard about this thing or i don't know how to talk about it you give language and understanding which is so important um but you so you open you open the book um sharing a story about a mistake that you made um mm-hmm. around creating a video uh talking about the identity of bisexuality mm-hmm. um and which i just appreciate so much the the transparent of like as you're saying like parents are you know are people and are going to make mistakes and we all are we're all humans yeah um, but I just think it's so important because it, it ties into what you were saying too about because uh, I talk about this a lot too of there's so much fear around saying the wrong thing, doing the mm-hmm. wrong thing that it holds people back from doing any kind of meaningful work. Yeah, and so I think the more that we can um, own our mistakes and take accountability and talk about them, I think, yeah. and showing that how how those mistakes and accountability are received can mm-hmm. help create a new path into, okay, maybe I will give this a try because if I do make a mistake, I'm not going to be canceled or I'm not going to be roasted or whatever it might be. Cause I feel, I do feel like we're still very much in that yeah, place in, in our culture where we just get annihilated if we do something wrong and we don't take a minute to, to think about the human behind it. And yeah. Um, so the, I guess I'm just talking. There's not really a question, but so like, <laughs> um, but then yeah, you're we're also, we're just chit-chatting, but then it also, <laughs> um, you brought up Brene Brown and this idea of vulnerability. Mm. So I, I, my question for you actually is how were you introduced to Brene Brown and how do you like, um, cause I, I 
think I talk about her probably in every episode because I'm mm. healthily obsessed with her. Um, but this again, this idea of vulnerability. So how yeah. so how are you introduced to Brene Brown, and how do you then use like vulnerability in the work that you do? Yeah, I think I mean I'm pretty sure I watched her initial TED talk when it kind of blew up. Um, I feel like that's the biggest way. And then I've kind of like listened to audiobooks, um, her some of her audiobooks over the years. Um, that's kind of how I've been introduced to her. Um, and she's one of the she's kind of like um I I put her in like a similar category of like how I interact with like Cheryl Strade's work as well, of like someone who really just like digs in deep and is so invested in looking at like the rawness of hu- being human um and Cheryl Strayed does that through literature and nonfiction writing mostly and Brene Brown does that through her research and then communication around her research and um yeah so I kind of like dip in and out of like both of their work um and oh, for me, vulnerability is so much about like sharing myself and sharing my story is a big part of that. But also, I think that being around kids is really vulnerable. <laughs> I think yeah. there's like something I have whenever I'm around young people and I'm and I work with young people on like a weekly basis i outside of queer kids stuff which is obviously working with kids a lot i am like making stuff for kids i'm also a preschool music teacher and i i feel so comfortable performing but there's also because i've been doing it for a long time but there's also something so um so queer about being in spaces with children where like they don't have any idea about social norms they don't care if they're talking to me during a song about like literally while i'm singing about how they're seeing their dad leave (laughs) (laughs) like like that like those are literally things that happen while i'm like doing the hello song right and i think it's about just like being there and being present with young people and I think being able to be present in my body is is something that's very vulnerable for me and um because I do feel there's certainly like a performance aspect of it there's certainly like a character that I play there's definitely there can be like a bit of a separation there, especially when you're talking about like performer audience. Um, there's a lot of like relational theory concepts and stuff in like theater studies and performance studies around that. But um, I, I think just like getting up and like being myself and like putting my voice out there and like, I open every show that I do with the lyrics, it's okay to be gay. And like a little piece of my heart has to brace itself every time I do that because I'm like, okay, what parent is in here that is not on the same page as everybody else and who is going to walk out with their kid, which I've certainly had happened before, who (laughs) there was a experience at a children's museum while I was on tour where this like kid was just like, 
running around having a great time like just chilling and the parent was kind of like trying to like get their shoulder and like trying to tap them and I think they were trying to leave and like the kid was just like having a good time and chilling and I was just like okay you have to you also have to stay here and if your kid is going to be here and um and sit through this right and there's um there was a guy with like a sign sitting um like indoctrinating kids whatever while I was doing a performance at a library outside of Chicago and um it was it was scary like he wasn't doing anything but like that having that presence there was not an easy moment for me as a performer as someone who you know is on stage showing like this is like it's just me and an inanimate teddy bear and my ukulele like I don't have any kind of like that's my battle armor (laughs) right and I think that there's always a some some form of it always feels vulnerable and I think that that vulnerability isn't always easy, but knowing the like visceral impact that me doing that has on young people and parents and families is, I wouldn't get that if I wasn't doing that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I'm just like kind of rambling on about it, but no, yeah. no, not at all. Um, I'm just thinking about you know all the different ways that it that vulnerability manifests in life, in the work we do. Um, I uh, produced a show for Trans Day of Remembrance last year, showcasing queer and trans and ally performers. Um, mm-hmm with a theme of solidarity mm-hmm. um, and uh, oh, and Jewish. And so it was like mm-hmm. a Jewish, queer, and trans show. Mm-hmm. And the we were, so it, the, ho- the house was packed and it was mm-hmm. like really good vibes. And then all of a sudden I was like, this is so vulnerable. Like mm-hmm. it's like all of these identities that people, I hate to say it, hate, lots of yeah. people hate us. It's a very interesting time to be a trans Jewish person right now. Yeah. And so I uh, was feeling very vulnerable. I was like, oh, my God, like I gathered these people in this space and now I'm putting everyone at risk. Like it was all of these thoughts. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, I had a you said you have an inanimate Teddy and a ukulele. I had a clipboard Mm -hmm. or my iPad or something. I was like, that's all I have. But I was like. Really, I was literally pacing between the doors, like the entrance doors, mm. as if I could protect everybody in the room. And it, yeah, in between hosting the entire show, it Jeez, was yeah. very stressful, very vulnerable. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. And, but, and the vibe and the power and the mm. art and the connection and community that was created in that space, it's like there shouldn't be that trade off, but like, yeah there at this moment in time there is that trade-off of like when a queer and trans and or trans person or a queer and jew you know whatever the combination of identities are puts themselves out there you mentioned a lot that you get a lot of you know cyber harassment and i also get cyber harassment it's like yeah the trade-off unfortunately yeah for sure it is um 
but I love and appreciate so much you you pushing forward and creating this ecosystem. So you have your your queer kid stuff um, series, which I recommend to parents and grownups all the time. I actually work very little with kids um, mm. and mostly with grownups and still use your your videos as a resource because it is so accessible and it's like these concepts like people think are just like this like out of this world way of you know something they could never understand it's like well it's actually yeah. very simple and so here's yeah. watch these videos and it, you'll help it'll help you um and then you have your rainbow parenting book and then you have a picture book coming out mm-hmm. um which based on the name hooray for she he z and they is about pronouns it's about pronouns it's um it's about gender euphoria and helping kids recognize that feeling of gender euphoria that's kind of like couched in a pronoun book if that makes sense the subtitle is what are your pronouns today um which i think harkens back to that like flexibility of identity that we were talking about earlier yeah how do you how do you describe gender euphoria um ooh, hold on i'll take the picture book out i have a proof copy (laughs) Oh, amazing. <laughs> um, this is like a tiny little baby preview, I guess. Um, cool. Uh, you heard it here first, folks. You heard it here first. I use a lot of like imagery and metaphors in this. Um, let's see. Let me just do one. When someone uses your right pronouns, it feels like pulling on your favorite sweater that fits just right or like a warm hug from your favorite person when you're lonely. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of what the book's book is. Um, have you heard of this book? Uh, what are your words? Yes, I have. Uh, so I, when I stumbled upon this book, um, I also bring this to show grownups, mm-hmm. um, and I feel like there can never be too many books like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really excited for yours to add to my collection. Yeah. Um, but there's there's a part where that I use to describe to folks because I've been asked like point blank. Like, how do you know that they, them pronouns are for you? Like, why don't mm. you just use she, like, just use what, what God intended for you, which mm-hmm. is gross. Um, yeah. And like, there's a part in here where it's like using the wrong pronouns feels like itchy and scratchy. Yeah, and like, exactly. And so I feel like, well, yeah. So um, I love that you are using like the metaphor of like, like your favorite sweater that just mm-hmm. feels right. And it's like, yeah. that's what it, that is what it feels like. Yeah, is, Exactly. Um, the puzzle piece clicking in the like yeah like that it feels like right place like right thing like yeah yeah it's really nice there's um uh i one of my most visceral moments of gender euphoria and then if you're open to sharing yours i'd love to hear it um i feel like for so much of my life being by water or in a bathing suit Mm. was like very uncomfortable for me and i always thought that i wasn't like a water person or a water park person um, but then when I was at one of those, uh, Keshet weekends for teens, we were at a summer camp and there was a pool with a water slide. And this was my first time, uh, in public, even though it was like a private event, uh, mm-hmm. outside my apartment, I should say, um, after top surgery, wearing like board short bathing suit mm-hmm. and that's it. And I was really anxious, but the teens were just like, you got this, like, you know, like come on in the water's fine and so i went in and it was so powerful but then i went down the water slide and that was such a moment of euphoria i still remember Mm -hmm. because 
any other time I'd been down a water slide before, I was in a body that mm-hmm. felt scratchy and itchy and like yeah. it didn't fit. And so I wasn't present in the moment. But here yeah. I was like actually literally experiencing the water slide as it was intended, which is like mm. joy and fun yeah. and a thrill. And I I giggled like a little child, like truly felt like it and mm-hmm. felt ecstatic and endorphin-y and you know just like I was like that is what it's supposed to feel like Mm. it's almost like I feel like sometimes when you don't have it it's hard to know but then once you do have it it's like oh this makes sense yeah yeah oh my god that's that's beautiful I love that um for me I think like putting on a t-shirt for the first time after top surgery was like incredible i took a video of myself and it's like on tiktok if people want to watch it um but i like yeah it's you can like see the emotion in my face and then um i just like started taking so many selfies like the first like six months after top surgery in particular like it's definitely like i still take selfies but it's like not quite (laughs) at the level that it was um right after um but I just like I was never really a person who liked being in photos at all like I had to for work and like as a performer like that's part of it for sure but like I never enjoyed being in family photos as a kid but then I just like after surgery I just like couldn't stop looking at myself in the mirror like was just taking like my wife said that I took like I don't usually take very long to get ready in um stereotypical trans mask fashion uh but i she said that it like i was taking like double triple the time (laughs) that i used to take getting ready in the morning because i was just like taking selfies of myself (laughs) in the mirror like for an extra 10 minutes and yeah i think that like that was not necessarily like one feeling or one moment of like big joy gender euphoria but um was just like this huge shift and I feel like I've had to do a lot of like I've done like a lot of inner child healing but I hadn't done a lot of like inner teen healing and I feel like the last like couple of years since top surgery I've like I wear a lot like literally I'm sitting here wearing a tank top and a backward cap and like I'm like rediscovering like the teenage bro that I like never got to be (laughs) and that's like been a really fun kind of like discovery about myself I did a like a photo shoot like headshot session when I was in Chicago over the summer with like a friend who's trans and I think it's the first I think they were the first trans person to like ever do like a shoot with me and I just like discovered like whole new like character types that like I wanted to like put myself into like this like suspender wearing like rom-com heartthrob that I never knew I had in me the like the like thembo frat bro kind of vibe like just rediscovering so much about myself and like honestly whole sides to my personality that I just like didn't even know existed because I just wasn't in my body right yeah for sure I, all of what, I'm just smiling over here just because everything you're saying is so resonant. I for sure went and had my backwards hat phase where I was just like, (laughs) where it was like a year or two of just like a million different hats. Oh yeah. It's like, it felt incredible to be like, okay, I'm like wearing this hat 
which like in theory, you know, wearing a backwards hat, you know, is, should be like mundane, but it yeah. had so much power and yeah. like taking that, that back. And I never wore tank tops. I never wore tank tops. And now I just like have too many of them. Same, 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 same. It is, it, it's, it's feels so good to get to play with and experiment with all of these different, um, like you're saying, parts of our personality or parts of who we are that we yeah. never were present for yeah. earlier. And it's it's really fun. And Yeah, it's really fun. <laughs> and I also um I have probably thousands of selfies because just similar to what you're saying, it's just I like the way that I look now. And especially with testosterone, which like uh for me it's like now I have chest hair and now I am like growing mm-hmm. a beard very slowly but surely. And so like I document every day because i'm like this is changing and it's it, every day feels more and more euphoric because it just mm. is how when i would think of myself how i pictured myself and now it's starting to align mm. with how i actually see myself um yeah. and it's really it's powerful and mm. um so okay so one more question about your ecosystem that you're building and then I'm moving us into our last section, which is, yeah, yeah. I feel like these conversations always fly. But um, you mentioned that you're starting something called Rainbow Storytime. Mm-hmm. What's, what's Rainbow Storytime? Yeah, so I've been doing gigs at libraries and schools and other places for like years and years and years now since Queer Kids stuff. And I like, from the tour that I did in June, I just like got to connect with so many people And that was just like really exciting for me because I've been, I feel like so disconnected from my audience because of the harassment for a long time and haven't really been able to like build community in the way that I've wanted to. And so I kind of like had this thought of like, okay, why can't I take these, this programming that I've been doing in all of these different educational settings for years now? And why can't I bring that directly to families that I'm, who love the web series, who I talk to in my DMs on Instagram and all these in person when I was on tour and all these different places. And uh, so I, I've worked at a preschool, I do music classes. So I figured I would kind of like finally take all those parts of my life and use that to kind of like fulfill this, um, relationship that I want to build with more people. And so I'm doing, it's called rainbow story time. It's, uh, 30 minute zoom sessions for eight weeks in the fall. I'm curating, uh, LGBTQ plus picture books. Most of them are either by queer and trans people or they're about queer and trans people uh i'm finding that it's hard to find some biographies of lgbtq plus historical figures who are also written by queer people which is an interesting thing to note um Mm. but i'm gonna sing songs and we're gonna do like community building show and tell and i really want to especially with like all the legislation and book bannings and all this stuff like educational spaces are not able to fulfill um and create they're not able to like fulfill um just like creating an inclusive queer affirming environment in these spaces and so i'm coming to parents and saying hey do you want to raise an lgbtq plus ally like come and like let me help you and i will curate this programming for you i um 
I hope you think that I'm entertaining and can sing and like will engage your young person and you can have that experience together as a family and come and hang out with me and my stuffed bear for 30 minutes every, I don't know, Saturday morning, Wednesday afternoon, something like that, and have an experience with your family that is helping you create an LGBTQ plus ally or affirmed queer child, right? And make a better world together, but also just like have fun as a family and, um, you know, kind of combat what's happening in the world kind of like in your own home. Uh, so yeah, I'm taking signups right now. There's a discount going until August 10th, but I'm sure I'll have others pop up. I'm not sure when this is going up. Um, but I'm really excited to be able to like be in like direct community with, with people who care about this stuff and like want to bring queerness into their homes, especially when they don't know how. I think like a lot of straight cis ally parents struggle to have conversations about gender and sexuality with their kids and i hope that the book helps that but i also hope that i can like directly come into your home and read a book and sing a song and like show young people that you know i'm queer and trans and happy i love that so much when did you say signups are Signups are right now. Um, it's gonna start in early September, and I'm gonna it's gonna go for eight weeks. Um, if it goes well, I'll keep doing them. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you can go go to the Queer Kids Stuff website, queerkidsstuff.com/slash/rainbowstorytime, and you can uh, learn more and sign up there. Amazing. So we this episode will drop after this starts. Uh, however, That's I'm gonna cool. we'll still post about it. I'm still gonna post cool. about it. Um, also, there are drop-in options, and it'll prorate. So amazing! I'm just gonna write that down so I don't forget it. Um, yeah. That sounds really awesome, and I think it'll be fun. Yeah, cool. I hope it goes well, so it continues. Thanks. Me too. <laughs> um, all right, so I'm gonna move us to our lightning round. Um, they are mostly open-ended because I was given loving feedback that they my questions were too binary which Ooh. I appreciated that, that mm -hmm. call in. Uh, so it's meant for fun. Answer as quickly as you can. Um, what's the name of your superhero alter ego? Oh my goodness. Um, oh, I've never had to come up with a name before. Um, I wrote a comic called super gay mm. <laughs> at one point. <laughs> so I love why it. not? <laughs> Great. Super gay here for it. Where's your favorite place to think? Mm, on a walk with my dogs, probably. Mm. Who is an influential queer person who has impacted your life? Just like really easy, light questions. Um, I know, right? <laughs> uh, maybe Chase Strangio. Yeah. Who I met a few weeks ago and is very lovely. Mm, so kind. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Not surprised uh, by that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and such an influential, amazing mm. person. If you all don't know yeah. Chase, look Chase up. Yeah. Who is uh, also a parent. Yes. That is true. Um, what is a song that you can listen to on repeat forever? Oh, my God. Oh, any musical theater, honestly. Um I would very happily listen to the soundtrack for the score for 
into the woods on end my entire life and never get sick of it. That's a good one. Did you see it on Broadway this year or when it was just on? Yeah, I did see the revival. Yes. Cool. Me too. I, well, I saw it when it was at City Center, so before it went mm, to Broadway. I loved the puppetry work. It was so cool. It was very cool. Um, okay. A lot of this question, interpret it as you wish. A lot of states have proposed don't say gay bills. So how do mm-hmm. you say gay? Uh, I literally sing it <laughs> all day, every day. <laughs> it's true. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where do you find joy? Oh, um, at home with my wife and my dogs, cooking, painting, walking around my neighborhood, listening to a good podcast, the little things. Uh, which some would argue might be the big things. I mm. love that. There you go. All right. The one binary question I could not get rid of. Bagels or donuts? Bagels, 100%. Yep. Correct I'm a answer. New York Jew. Yeah. <laughs> I can't answer any other way. I would blaspheme my ancestors. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, Linz, this was so lovely. Thank you so much for coming on and for sharing. And thank you for coming out. Thank you for having me. Woo-hoo. Thank you for coming out.